your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. It is Wednesday, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Keith Knudsen is going to be on with me here in a couple of minutes. He's a Viterbo, I would say, political science professor, Viterbo history professor. And uh, he was, we, uh, the initial plan was to have a speaker that's coming to Viterbo tomorrow night, Gary Tyler, uh, a, a man who spent like 40, 40, 41 years in prison dating back to when he was he was initially um, charged in at the age of 16 in 1974 uh, spent and then and convicted a, a black guy Gary Tyler convicted in Louisiana like racially motivated of killing a white a white student and spent 41 years in prison it's just like unfathomable think about when you were 16 and just think like you go to prison for something you didn't do and you spent 41 years there. I've had Gary on my show. I think I ha- I had him on pre- preluding to his his uh appearance at Viterbo last year as well. And and talked to him for just a little bit, but I was hoping to get him in studio, but also when he comes to town, he's he he gets he gets he's got to hit all these different places. So uh the idea of coming here on top of uh you know 17 other things is is just a little bit overwhelming, but um, Keith's going to join us anyway, and we we like to bug Keith. Keith's Keith's fun to have in. Uh, Keith was really really helpful when I first started the show a couple of years ago. Uh, he would come on, and 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 it was a it was a to munch it was a interesting time as as I think it was during like Donald Trump's. First impeachment, it's so funny to say, and um, some of the Mueller report stuff, just very confusing stuff that, right, the unprecedented president, right, that we were going, and it's still happening, right, the unprecedented former president now, as news comes out today about, about Trump being charged in New York with, uh, you know, his, his business fraud, I'm just, just crazy, uh, and not crazy at all, I guess. Um, but, but during that time, having, uh, the Viterbo history, political science professor on to kind of, and he was, Keith was like deep diving into this stuff. So he was very helpful in being able to kind of walk through, you know, what is impeachment and what is this Mueller report? Like what, what is it saying? And, um, so I really appreciated that. But so I, I, because we're not having Gary in here, I, I did take all these notes and then I was like, and then Gary wasn't able to come in, but. Um, he's speaking in at Viterbo tomorrow, 7 p.m., free to the public. I, I suggest going to it, listening to his story. Um, he does he does this, and then he works with uh, he works out in Venice, California, or in California. I don't know. He lives in Venice, but he works in California with uh, uh, youth kids trying to get youth homeless off the streets, um, which you know makes perfect sense. So, um, but when Tyler was 16 in 1974, he was charged with murder of a white student. He was quickly convicted under what um, were dubious circumstances and racial, in a racially charged environment. Then he was sentenced to the electric chair. So he's 16. So maybe by that time he might have been 17. Sentenced to the electric chair. Sentenced to death as a 17-year-old. I don't think 
I'm not a I'm not a big death penalty guy. I think uh, I think a certain former president is proposing uh, the death penalty for drug dealers, right? Like, okay, but uh, I I don't I'm not a big death penalty guy. I don't I don't think we should be deciding anyone should live or die. Um, but he was sentenced to death as a 17 year old. So really, at, at that point, I'm like, no, uh, I have a hard time. Even the even the Kyle Rittenhouse stuff as a 17 year old. Just I, I have a hard time. And then there's the two 16-year-olds that killed their teacher in Iowa. Like, like their their life is over if they're convicted, right? Like Kyle Rittenhouse, I, I don't know where he's at, but these two 16-year-olds, they're going to be tried as adults. And like, what what happened to get you to the point? Where what what kind of like thought process did you grow up going through, or you know? your home life that you got to the point where you thought you should murder your teacher um, or go to this, whatever, go to Kenosha and, and protect the building. Um, so being trying these kids as adults, um, I have a hard time just fathoming, fathoming that. And, and then to do this with uh, Gary Tyler back in 1974, sentenced to death. But then later, two years later, the Supreme court said, nah, death penalty is unconstitutional for, for, I don't, and I don't know if it was for kids that were 17 or, or what, but Louisiana, uh, so they overturned that, but they still sentenced him to life. And then he spent, uh, the worst of this is like, he spent a, a, like a less than a, about, about seven years in prison. And then 1981, the court ruled that Tyler was denied a fundamentally fair trial in 1981. So he was convicted in 74, I believe 74, 75, 1981, the court ruled, hey, you didn't get a fair trial. And and then uh, they didn't give him a new one. They didn't give him a new trial. What is that? <laughs> like, so, And then in 2016, he was freed. His conviction was overturned. He pleaded guilty to manslaughter, which he had already sent. Uh, uh, he already served two manslaughter terms, essentially. So he just plead guilty to this. You're, you're, then you're freed. 2016. So, so think about that. In 1981, hey, your trial, you know, that wasn't fair. But we're not going to give you a new one. I, I just, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around it. Maybe Keith can, can, can kind of help me to do that and help maybe you guys if you're thinking about the same thing. Uh, because 81 and then 91 and then 2001 and then 2011 and then five years after that, 35 years he sat in prison after they said his trial wasn't fair. He sat in prison. And then finally, they just said, all right, manslaughter, go go do what you got to do. 608-785-7914. And, and when Keith's in here, we'll, we'll take some calls, too. So if you have, you know, political, we got, we got the political science professor on. So if you got politics questions, um, obviously, we have a, a, a very tight governor's race. We have a U.S. Senate race here in Wisconsin between Mandela Barnes and Ron Johnson. Governor's race, Tim Michaels and, and Tony Evers. Uh, and then third congressional district race, right? We have we have that going on, and we even have news like we don't have we we don't have a traditional debate style going on there uh, in in that race between Van Orden and Path. We don't even have a debate yet at this point. We're working on that, but we don't have that yet. So um, we'll see. Anyway, speaking of news, Brad's got to do that. We'll be back with Keith Knutson, the Turbo Political Science Professor. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Keith Knutson, political science professor at Viterbo University. 
Keith, when if I looked up your name on on the Viterbo website, are you are you like history professor, political science professor? Because I feel like you're just as big a history professor as you are political science. Yeah, um, uh, I'm in a new department. It's called Ethics, Culture, and Society. It's history, philosophy, and art combined. And one of the things that's been happening in liberal arts institutions is uh, uh, low numbers in the humanities. And so this was our answer to address these uh, very few majors in our areas. And it's turned out to be quite successful, I would say. We have uh, 15 majors now, something like that, and growing. And uh, uh, we've been able to develop new classes. And uh, some of my colleagues in that department are uh, very active in getting students engaged with the community. So uh, it, it fits into our institution's mission of being, uh, uh, I'm just going to say, active serving the community. Now, so it's are, been a good development for us. Now, you threw the word art in there. Are you doing more painting? Are you doing more coloring? Are you like Patrick Swayze in the movie Ghost, where you're doing the clay on the wheel? Uh, I don't know. What kind of, are, what, are, what, are they, what are they got you doing? Uh, well, well uh, Rick, believe me, they're not having me do any art. Um, uh, 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 you've never seen my penmanship, but it's been described as chicken scratch, and to translate that into any artistic depiction, It'd be hard to interpret, to say the least. All right. um, but uh, we want to have these liberal arts uh, opportunities for students, and uh, this is a way to do that. And the terrible uh, is a liberal arts institution, but uh, we've had to uh, adapt to the times, and uh, I think this new department um, ha- is proving to be quite successful. At what point do I? Just, I'm just making a joke here, but at what point do you? Because I mean, we kind of we kind of see this in politics and even in the third congressional district here. Uh, the word liberal gets thrown around as a as as kind of this word that is anti-republican, sort of, or just the opposite of republican. It's a Democrat term. Uh, at what point do do universities need to throw out the word liberal arts or the liberal part of that? Is that ever a conversation? Well, Right. You know, this this word dates back 800 years when <laughs> universities were first being developed in uh, Europe in the Middle Ages. Um, and here the liberal arts, it, it, um, uh, uh, the word develops over time, not to be used the way we use liberal versus conservative right. in our, our uh, kind of duopoly. What are you? You're either a liberal or a, liberal or a conservative. And, of course, many conservative-minded people uh, would indeed uh, perhaps have studied the liberal arts, that is, history, philosophy, um, uh, theology, uh, an array of topics that today we use it to distinguish from the sciences. Viterbo has uh, um, uh, now a school of engineering along with chemistry and biology, um, and then we have a school of nursing, a school of fine arts, a school of business, a school of education. But uh, these liberal arts are the traditional foundation of the university experience. Um, in the modern, in the last three, four decades, many students don't want to go into the liberal arts. They feel that they need to get a major that will provide them uh, an immediate job. Now, some survey data shows us that liberal arts majors, after a decade, actually end up making more money than some of these 
specific majors because in the liberal arts, uh, uh, a student uh, is provided a a, a diversity of uh, uh, topics, and uh, uh, therefore, you know, I don't want to toot my horn too much here, Rick, but uh, a breadth of knowledge and uh, a term that we use in higher education today, critical thinking. And I think uh, many employers find these critical thinking skills very valuable in their managerial positions. Yeah, you're taking my my goofiness way too serious, but I get it. Um, but before we get into any more of this, the, Gary Tyler was, was going to come on, but he wasn't able to. But he's still speaking tomorrow, am I right? Right. He's speaking right now over at UWL with some students. But tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in San Damiano Chapel on the Viterbo campus, um, the corner of Franciscan Way and 10th Street, right behind uh, Mayo Health System, um, Gary will be speaking. And uh, it's free and open to the public. Um, for anyone who doesn't know his story, he's been here I, a couple times before now. Yeah, and I broke down. Um, before you came on, I'll just say, I, bro- I know you weren't listening. I broke down c- quite a bit. I, I just took some bullet point notes, and I, I kind of told his story in a very okay. abbreviated way. So I, we don't need to do the abbreviated part, but you know okay. his story pretty well, right? Like if I ask you questions here, you'll be – because I don't have Gary well, in here. Well, I'd like to think I've gotten to know Gary pretty well. I, right. I've uh, had three occasions now to spend a few days with him and yeah. have meals and walk around and talk and hear his presentations. So obviously um, the, the, the worst part of – there's two things that I just like really stand out to me about his story about you know being wrongfully convicted. Obviously as a 17-year-old, he's convicted to the, to the death penalty, to the, to the electric chair, and the Supreme Court overruled that, but he still had to serve a life sentence. Um, how, how, what were the, do you know the circumstances in which he was convicted, uh, that, that made it, you know, like if it, this were to happen today, it would have been, you know, that wouldn't have happened because we weren't racially motivated back then, but the, the way he was wrongfully convicted, do you have that detail? Well, he was on a bus after school with a bunch of other black students who had, uh, begun to attend an integrated school and white People were outside the bus on the school grounds protesting. A shot rang out, and a 13-year-old white boy, unfortunately, was was killed. Um, and out of that, uh, Gary Tyler, who was sitting on the bus, uh, ended up being tried and convicted for the murder of this 13-year-old uh, boy who was on the scene. Um, it, 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 it's quite clear that was, that, that, that was a setup. Um, uh, and uh, indication of how uh, our criminal justice system uh, could work back in the day, let me say. Uh, this is about almost half a century ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, or it is a century ago. And uh, uh, it was an unjust conviction. But Gary Tyler spent 10 years on death row and then um, 31 more years in Angola prison. But the remarkable thing about the man is it has not suppressed his his humanity, um, and uh, he's just a delight to be around. Um, one of the things he's doing later tonight is meeting with some people in lacrosse who are quilters, because in prison he learned to quilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and out in Los Angeles, he, uh, I think, I, I don't know the details, but there's a studio that he's a part of, and it's dedicated to quilting. Um, and just uh, just one example of uh, the irrepressible human instinct to take life uh, in his own hands and and uh, have a have a fulfilling existence and he certainly has that uh, 
uh, I, I'm inspired by the man. Yeah, because if you spend, you know, 40, okay, 41 years of your life in prison, so 41. So he comes out about 51, almost 60 years old, right? Somewhere around there? Yep. He comes yeah. out at about a little under 60 years old. You could be really mad at the world, uh, the way you got treated, or but but that's not going to help you at all. Uh, I don't, you know, like, so he has to, he has to set his mind, you know, right and, and get over that, I, you know, as, as hard as, I don't know, I don't know how many people could do that. Uh, well, uh, uh, he, uh, I think he has met some other men who were unjustly imprisoned and didn't uh, find an avenue for a successful life as Gary has found. Um, but one of the great challenges for Gary or anyone who um, is dealt with like this by our criminal justice system, a big portion of his earning life was taking, taken away from him. Um, and so um, uh, coming into the workforce so late, um, I, I don't know his personal finances, but um, you and I know ourselves, uh, me longer than you, Rick, but we both have had our adult opportunities to engage in our learning, our earning lives, and then begin to prepare for retirement and all that sort of thing. And, yeah, and he has, and then that's one of the things that was taken away from Gary. Yeah, um, when 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 not, he is not letting it get him down, you know. Well, and the, like, well, you and you say you don't know his financials, and I kind of wonder, if, you know, sometimes when there's even TV shows about this, hey, he was wrongfully convicted, he gets out of prison, and and the state owes him millions of dollars for for the years he spent in prison, right? But I don't know if Gary would have gotten any of that because he then he 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 pleaded guilty to manslaughter in 2016 and he was freed right his initial conviction was overturned so i kind of wonder if like if he, there was any restitution there there was no restitution um and he did plead guilty to manslaughter because it would have been a very long um bureaucratic process for him to go through to actually get out of prison He'd already served two manslaughter terms, and so his choice was to get out of prison, right. and he then has that conviction uh, on, his, on his record. It's utterly unjust, but, you know, many of us are faced with, uh, on occasion, uh, hopefully not too often, um, and hopefully not as serious a, a situation as Gary Tyler has faced, but do you want to get out of prison? Do you want to actually begin to live a life, or are you willing to sit there and go through the the, the the process with the state that isn't exactly the state of Louisiana. Uh, 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 well, I wasn't there, but I'm I'm quite certain they would have been very hesitant to acknowledge this egregious error in their judicial system. Yeah, they would have fought you the whole way. Okay, so the other thing, and I only have a minute here, but um, and tell me if you just we can come back to it. But in 1981, the court the, the court said that is he didn't he didn't get a fair trial. So like you know what 74 to 81. So you know six seven years after. Uh, he was convicted. The court said, eh, you didn't get a fair trial. 1981, that was. But they didn't give him a new trial. So, like, this, the idea, first of all, you're wrongfully convicted. And then in 81 to say, eh, you didn't get a fair trial. But then to leave it until 2016. So from 81 to 2016, not only is he wrongfully convicted, but now he's saying, like, hey, you told me I didn't get a fair trial. Give me a fair trial. So I don't understand why he didn't get that. And, and I don't know that part of the story, uh, Rick, but uh, uh, often uh – at least in our history, prisoners like Gary would not have had uh, effectual um, defense, right? They wouldn't have had a, a lawyer who would have taken on their case. Mm -hmm. I have read about 
people in the public. And even after the first time he was here in La Crosse, a woman in New York City called me and uh, talked with me about Gary, and she knew him back in Louisiana and, and engaged in agitation to get him out of prison, but she was unsuccessful. And then she was just absolutely de- delighted to learn that he was not only out of prison, but uh, visiting here in La Crosse and uh, able to tell people here in our community his story. His story is important, but what's even more important is his attitude about life and his capacity to, you know, as we like to say, stand up and be strong. And boy, he sure is uh, that um, in a big way. Yeah. And I, I don't know, will, the, will people be able to meet him afterwards or is he just speaking? Yeah, um, both times he's spoken publicly uh, at Viterbo. Uh, it's taken quite a, ta- a while to get out of First San Damiano, where he'll be tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Last year he was in our main theater, and dozens, if not you know, uh, 50, 60, 70 people uh, the first year, I think maybe 100 students stood in line for an hour just to shake his hand. Students were writing notes to him as they were in line. Um, it was just incredibly touching. Um, how he touched their their lives. Sure. All right. So, yeah, like like he said, tomorrow, 7 p.m., I don't know how to pronounce that, the Sam Damiano Chapel? How did I do? San Damiano Chapel. It's All on right. the corner of 10th Street and Franciscan Way. All right. Just a block off Market Street. Um, uh, you know, it's technically two blocks off Jackson. You old guys, we got phones, Keith. We'll just Google it. But Sam Damiano, yeah. it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's one yeah, of those. No, that's right. It is the 21st century. Right? It isn't It isn't the easiest one to spell, but people just, Gary Tyler, Google Gary Tyler Viterbo. You'll figure it out. Yeah. All right, we got to take a and break. It, it, it's been in the Tribune, too. Right, we got to take a break. Brad doing the news. We don't talk about the Tribune, Keith. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608. 608- 785-7914 is the talking text line. Viterbo, oh, you know what, Keith? I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to do your title because it's changed. Um, so I'm gonna, and I didn't write it down because it was a whole thing. Because I have Viterbo University, I could just say professor. Could I do even do that? You can't. You can. I'm a professor. Yeah. Right. And then and now you're a professor of multiple things. So uh, your title <laughs> has gotten longer. I think there's some commas in there, and um, but. Uh, that's called ethics, culture, and society. Okay, so let me do like, ethics, culture. This is great radio and society. So next time I have yep. you on, I'll just I can control F and find this later. Um, all right. So I I do have Eric from Sparta's been waiting on you guys. Uh, have a, a a long history of having conversations, um, and I think you're both I think you're both Vietnam War veterans too. Is it right? Uh, I am, and I do think that's uh, the war Eric participated in. Yeah, Eric, go ahead. You're on with Keith. I was not in the Vietnam War. I was in the Vietnam War at the time, but I was not in Vietnam. I no. was in Germany. Anyway, I have a question for the dear professor. I do believe African Americans were dealt a bad hand. They were not allowed to vote until 1965, and that is an atrocity. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. I was 14 years old when that happened, and I couldn't. I didn't know them, but I still can't believe it. Any, but anyway, are you aware of who? Can you ever tell me who Margaret Sanger was? Know what she was? Mar- what Margaret she Sanger, an early uh, birth control advocate, um, she, associated with the birth control pill. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood, and know what she was, though? Yeah. 
No, she did. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar, uh, not an area of my study, but certainly I'm familiar with uh, uh, this person. She was a eugenicist. That meant... All say, the say that again, Eric? wanted to put all the Planned Parenthood facilities around black community because she thought they were weeds on society. She thought they would despoil the people. And that is Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood. All right, so um, Eric's going down the rabbit hole, but Keith, when we were when we were talking, uh, 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 trying to get us in the direction of talking about is, right. uh, um, you know, it leads us to the abortion issue. But uh, um, women have uh, 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 the developments in the 20th century that provide females uh, the opportunity to have. Uh, I'm going to call it greater control over their own bodies, and this is about getting pregnant, and uh, then, uh, of course, it leads us into the, well, the 1960s sexual revolution and all that sort of thing. Um, but uh, um, it's interesting that today we do have uh, a big political uh, storm brewing in the country over the issue of abortion, um, and I suppose it's been pretty steady uh, since Roe v. Wade, but... Uh, we can. I hope that's enough for Eric because I uh, would like to address the issue that he wanted to uh, get into. Yeah. So, well, we were talking in the break. Uh, the idea that you know, so first of all, I think I think we're you know heading into the midterms before the Roe v. Wade news started to come. I think a lot of people were talking about how Republicans would either take over the House or the Senate, possibly both. I mean, they're they're both pretty close. Um, how do you think the Roe v. Wade decision and now the aftermath, we've even seen Lindsey Graham say they want to ban abortions federally after he said, uh, you know, like a couple weeks before that, it's up to the state. So he's just like, you know, like whatever you want to make of Lindsey Graham doing that. But um, he's just reigniting this flame for Roe v. Wade. Does this help one side or the other? And does it will do you think it will be the thing that helps those the side uh, keep keep or or overtake you know the control of the government except for president of course. So this this is a, a general election in the middle of a presidential term. So historically, the the uh, the party that controls the presidency would generally lose seats in the Congress. Um, but you're right. I mean, the Senate can't get any closer. It's a fifty fifty split, right? Um, the Democrats have a five, six, seven seat majority in the in the House of Representatives, um, and so uh, uh, there was talk about uh, uh, the potential for the Republicans to get control of both houses of Congress. Um, that seems to be fading in the Senate because um, some number of their senatorial candidates have proven to be rather ineffectual campaigners, and um, uh, the Democrats have. Uh, uh, according to public opinion polling, a good shot at not only retaining the Senate, but even picking up some seats. Um, one possibility would be here in Wisconsin, where the incumbent Ron Johnson is running against Mandela Barnes. Uh, right now, Johnson is up a couple points in the polls, but it's all within the margin of error, and uh, uh, time will tell. And, and, of course, Wisconsin is a, a swing state. In the House of Representatives, the chances of Republicans gaining control of the House uh, certainly better than getting control of the Senate. One reason is that uh, something like 25 seats across the country are gerrymandered 
as we have done here in Wisconsin, to the advantage of the Republicans. Um, and so um, uh, the Republican chances in the House would be better than in the Senate. It is Here in Wisconsin, we've got some races that could impact that outcome. Yeah, it is funny when you bring up gerrymandering. Um, you know, a, a lot of the congressional seats in Wisconsin are gerrymandered for one side or the other, except this one. This one is kind of, the it, it's turned into the, um, I think with the new maps, there might be two seats that, that could be contested, but at least this one is one of those that's up in the air. Yeah, uh, of course, the the current holder of the seat, Ron Kind, uh, has been able to hold it for something like a quarter of a century. Um, but uh, Donald Trump has carried this congressional district for the presidency twice now. Um, and uh, uh, that... Uh, makes this congressional seat with an, we call it an open seat, because Kind is not running for re-election, and so Brad Paff is the Democratic candidate. Uh, Derek Van Orden, um, even though Trump carried the district uh, two years ago, Van Orden couldn't carry the district. Uh, but without uh, the presence of Kind, I think uh, people um, are uh, wondering if uh, uh, Van Orden could, let's say, get over the hump this time around. Um, uh, I think Brad Paff has uh, proven himself to be a pretty savvy campaigner. Of course, he's our state senator in this this area, um, and uh, it uh, probably will be a very close race. Now, in terms of this race here between Van Orden and Paff, there's been news over the eh, maybe the past week and a half that they that the Van okay first Paff brought this up, uh, you know, kind of. I think it just, in a way, to gain attention. Like, I want to gain attention. I'm just going to say, hey, Van Orden doesn't want a debate, or I'm challenging Van Orden to a debate. And then Van Orden comes out and says, I don't want to do a traditional debate. He blames the media. He blames UWL, who wanted to host the debate. And then he says he wants a town hall-style debate, which I, I love. I love those. I love seeing those on TV. I think they're they're, they're I think they're much more effective you know, when audience members can ask the questions. Um, I don't know how you get to... I don't know how you get an audience for, you know, it's a lot easier to do that for a presidential debate, town hall type situation, or these popular senators. But when you go to the third congressional district, who's who's going to who's going to attend these things? But we'll see. Uh, and we'll see if we even have a town hall debate. But what do you think of just the idea that that, that we don't Van Orden's team doesn't want or Van Orden doesn't want a, a traditional debate because he feels like the media is against him? Well, uh, I've been reading about some number of Republican candidates around the country who are eschewing debates because they feel that uh, it's it's not to their it, it, their advantage, um, and uh, uh, perhaps they're thinking that the media is going to present the, their debate performance in a particular way. I don't I don't see Brad Paff as trying to get attention. I see Brad Paff as trying to do politics in the way that we've come to expect politics to be done. Uh, Ron Kind, uh, every election would have a debate, maybe three debates. Um, and uh, it's Van Norton's right to not debate, but what does that say about the candidate and his confidence about his capacity and his ideas to stand, uh, you know, at a lectern with his opponent there and have questions put to him and be able to defend his positions? Um uh, and maybe Van Orden wants this town hall uh, style because then people in the audience um, are going to be throwing the questions to the candidates in addition to, I think, a moderator. Um, and, uh, of course, there there would be some questions from 
Van Orden supporters and some questions from PAF supporters. That's the way they would set up the audience if it were to occur. Yeah, I yeah, I don't I don't mind uh, a debate like that at all. I think we could do both. Um, but we're not seeing, and I say they, he's trying to get attention. You call it politics, but I call it getting attention. I mean, one way or the other, the politics of it is to get attention, What you know, however you want to no, put it. No, I think you're wrong, Rick. I think that uh, uh, these debates are a way for candidates to show the public their, their yes, position, their right. issues. No, the debates, um, the, Keith, the debates are the debates. That's, that's a great way to get to know your candidates. The calling out by one part, one candidate or the other, the holding a news conference and saying, I challenge you to do a debate. You know, I, I don't, well, that, that's uh, the way I, I to don't get know attention. the background of, uh, of their negotiations about this, but I'm presuming that by now, um, we would expect the, the debates to have been set up. Right. But that's um, what I'm telling you is I telling you and, and Brad path, you know, you might call it attention. I would call it campaigning and showing the public, what are your views because um, I'm going to try to maintain a, you know, a degree of uh, respect for the these political uh, candidates who presumably are going to run on the positions that they're standing for. Right. Um, how do they How do they get that the public to know what it is they're espousing? Yes, and these that's you're right. Have they're, become a traditional way of doing that. We're talking about two different things. You're talking about the debates. I'm talking about the the calling out of your opponent to debate. Versus the debate itself. Um, anyway, we go back to the phones. Uh, Joe, Joe. But again, I think, I think, Rick, that's been part and parcel of these debates. Uh, you know, the first time we had a debate, 1960 on television, John Kennedy versus Richard Nixon. Um, and ever since then, um, there's only one presidential election where we haven't had these debates. Debates have become part of the American political culture. Yeah, absolutely. And now there are candidates who don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, all right, Joe hung up. Um, all right. Sorry, Joe. I, I was going to put you on. But anyway, so but we, we see this, you know, we're seeing this in the governor's race and in the Senate race. But I, I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a minute. All right. Wrap it up here with Keith Knudsen, who's the Viterbo University Ethics, Culture and Society professor. How's that, Keith? Thank you. That Did sounds you, that, good. That was great, right? Uh, <laughs> um and and Keith uh, Keith is is kind of I don't know you're you're going around or you have you've been with Gary Tyler who's going to speak at Viterbo tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at the San Damiano uh, San Damiano S A N D A M I A N O San Damiano the the print is small blame the print uh, and then tomorrow 7 p.m. so go check it out it's free to the public uh, really inspiring story to hear. Uh, tragic ish. It's tragicus, and and then it has a, a sort of a happy ending. I don't know how to put it. It's very, very difficult to wrap my head around everything that Gary Tyler went through in his life. Um, but before we went to break, we were talking about uh, debates, and se- essentially, um, Governor Tony Evers and Tim Michaels have agreed to a debate. Well, what do you think of that? There's just one, I believe. Right. Um, well, at least there's a debate. At least there's been an agreement. I think that's more than what we've gotten out of the 3rd Congressional District, right? Yeah, so far anyway. And then I think um, Ron Johnson and, and Mandela Barnes, there is at least one. There might be three. It's it's kind of up in the air now, but um, do, would you say, would you? what do you like? Do you like the, the traditional style of debate where um, media ask questions and they answer the kind of like you know how we see the presidential debates go, or do you like these town halls? Because I I kind of like the town halls. They're a little bit they're a little bit more interesting. Uh, well, I'm for sessions where the 
two opposing candidates, and sometimes there could be as many as three, um, uh, are in a public forum where they're not able to dictate what they're going to have to respond to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it shows us uh, the breadth of their knowledge, the capacity of them to uh, think on their feet, um, and uh, uh, reveal to the public what are your views, what's your philosophy, what do you want to, why do you want to get elected, why are you doing this? Um, and in the way that most people learn about politics today through political ads, um, that's all just a setup. It's not really giving the public what we should know about these people who are running for office. So debates are a way where the candidates themselves don't control the setting. That's what's valuable about debates, I think, Rick. All right, this is a midterm election. You have one minute, Keith, but um, you know, usually the turnout is lower. Uh, do, you, do you feel like the turnout's going to be record high for this midterm? It seems like the, the attention it is, or maybe it's just my job now, and, and I have more attention on it. Well, uh, you know, the the election two years ago, more people voted than at any uh, time in our history. And the percentage of voters who turned out to participate was um, not record high, but, but pretty high. So there are issues that are driving people to the polls. Unfortunately, we're a very um, animosity, uh, 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 or divided, and, and with great animosity, um, and rather than what some people talk about, we're going to have a civil war sometime, um, of course, our system is designed to have us go to the polling places and vote and have honest elections um, and uh, accept the results of the election outcome. Look at you throw civil war. I give you a minute and you throw civil war in the middle of your answer. And I'll say it again, Keith, we should be more like North Korea. You either vote or you get thrown in the ocean. <laughs> that's all that's thank all the, god we're not like that rick <laughs> that's um, all the time i have uh, keith thanks a lot man thank you all Bye-bye. right see you guys uh we'll do it again tomorrow